If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range four-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked center-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Michelle Gates murdered two children by the time she was 13 years old. After years of court battles and a sentence at a youth facility, she eventually gained her freedom to be able to move on and live a normal life. But that would never happen. This is Monsters. Michelle Gates was the child of a teenage mother, Diane Gates, who spent most of her childhood being raised by her grandmother, Deletta Reese. On August 21, 1977, when Michelle was only 11 years old, her step-grandfather, Norman Reese, shot and killed her mother, Diane. It's said that Norman had caught Diane out late with a man and believed she had turned to prostitution, so he shot her. He would later say in court that prostitution was, quote, a fate worse than death, end quote. He was convicted of menacing and first-degree manslaughter and sentenced to five years in prison. Psychiatrists throughout her life would go on to claim that this event taught Michelle that killing was an acceptable method of solving her problems. They also claimed that her mother had taught her that the only thing that mattered in life was self-gratification. The following year, Natia Otino, Michelle's three-year-old cousin who she regularly babysat, had an accident while on a trip to the Washington Park Zoo, now called the Organ Zoo. While Michelle was chasing after another child, Natia managed to fall into a duck pond in the waterfowl enclosure and drowned. This string of unfortunate family events, the death of her mother, the imprisonment of her step-grandfather, 
and the death of her cousin led Delita to seek counseling for Michelle. The effort was fruitless as Michelle was expelled from the Catlin Gable Private School on December 13, 1979. She had been accused of stealing another student's purse. It was January of 1980, and that winter had already been a bad one at the O'Neill residence, which included mother, Gail, six-year-old Bethany, and four-year-old Ruth. Someone had broken to their home and stolen their Christmas presents the month before. Strangely, the only items stolen during the robbery were presents intended for Ruth, gifts that Michelle had helped pick out since she knew both girls well being their regular babysitter. Gail O'Neill never particularly liked the neighborhood where she lived in Portland, Oregon, and was planning to move. She had already sold the house, and they were scheduled to leave the area on February 1st. On January 4th, one of three things happened, depending on which newspaper you read. In one version of events, Gail gave in and let Ruth walk by herself, three doors down to the Herfies, a local restaurant that served hamburgers and ice cream. The second version is that Michelle knocked on the door and offered to take Ruth to Herfie's to get a treat. The last version was that Michelle lured Ruth out of the house while Gail was distracted on the phone. It's believed that Bethany had spent the night at a friend's house and wasn't home at the time. No matter which story is accurate, once Gail realized that Ruth was missing, she went down to the Herfie's to look for her. When Gail didn't see her daughter in front of the restaurant, she looked around the building. When she found Ruth's rain boots in the dumpster, she notified police. Since she was the regular babysitter for the O'Neill girls, Michelle Gates was questioned by the police. Not in a what-happened-to-Ruth way, but more of a you-spent-time-with-her-where-would-she-go way. That evening, Ruth's body was found in the backyard of a neighbor's house in a pile of debris. This backyard was the neighboring yard to the back of Michelle's grandmother's house. She was fully dressed, but her underwear and socks were missing. Her raincoat was found nearby, and her socks and underwear were later found in a shed in the backyard of a different neighbor. It's thought that they were intentionally placed there in an attempt to frame the man who lived there. The coroner would determine that there was no sign of sexual assault and that the cause of death was drowning. With no strong leads, detectives compared notes, and when they discovered inconsistencies in the statements that Michelle had made, they brought her into the station for further questioning. Michelle initially suggested that Ruth had been killed as part of a sex crime. She also suggested that Gail might have accidentally killed her and was now attempting to cover it up. After detectives pointed out her inconsistent statements, she changed her story. She said that she had discovered Ruth's body after they had played hide-and-seek, but she didn't tell anyone about it. When that story didn't work, she said that she and Ruth were splashing around in the above-ground pool that was in the backyard of her grandmother's house. It had been drained, but there was still about 10 inches of water at the bottom. Michelle claimed that Ruth slipped, hit her head, and then drowned in the pool. Investigators eventually got the girl to admit the truth. Michelle explained that she lured Ruth into her backyard by promising her a new bathing suit and saying she would teach her how to swim. Once in the pool, she pushed the small girl's head into the water until she stopped moving. After that, she put Ruth's clothes back on, sans underwear, and lifted her body over the fence and into the neighbor's yard. That would not be the only murder that Michelle Gates would confess to that day, though. 
Apparently, Michelle was on a roll since she chose to describe how she had also drowned her three-year-old cousin, Nadia. On November 8, 1978, she had taken Nadia with Bethany and Ruth O'Neill to the zoo. She confessed to pushing Nadia into the duck pond where he drowned. At the time, she had claimed that she had taken her eyes off the boy for a minute while chasing after Ruth, which prompted authorities to deem it an accident. At this point, the person who had just confessed to two murders would be sent to jail to await trial. Unfortunately, the state of Oregon was not equipped to handle a case like this, and they had a number of problems convicting her of the crime. First, the police interrogated Michelle without reading her her Miranda rights, and without a parent present. Then, they didn't have a facility that was appropriate to house a 13-year-old girl. She spent nine months at the Donald E. Long Juvenile Detention Center in Portland while her case was pending. On January 7, 1980, Michelle Gates was charged with the juvenile equivalent of murder as she was too young to be tried as an adult. No charges were ever filed in connection with the death of Natia. On February 12th, Multnomah County Circuit Judge Mercedes Diaz ruled that Michelle's confession to detectives was inadmissible in court. The prosecutors tried to make their case work with statements Michelle had made to other girls while she was in custody, but Circuit Judge George Van Humesen ruled that the state violated the rule that juvenile cases were to begin within 30 days and dismissed the charges. Once that happened, the juvenile court, along with Michelle's father, James Gates, petitioned to have her made a ward of the court. It took nine months, but Michelle was eventually made a ward of the court and placed into the care of the state child welfare system. The state sent Michelle to the Elan School in Poland, Maine. That's not a mistake. You might think I meant Portland, Maine, but the school was actually in a town called Poland. It was a private boarding school that operated a controversial behavior modification program. The school had numerous accusations of physical abuse against the students prior to its closure in 2011. Illinois state officials removed 11 children in 1975 after allegations of mistreatment. It was revealed in 2002 that the school had a boxing ring that they used to force students to fight each other as a means of behavior modification. It was believed that student Phil Williams died on December 27, 1982, after participating in one of the fights. Police in Maine opened an investigation into the allegations in 2016, but insufficient evidence was found to bring charges against the school. While Michelle was in Maine, the prosecutor appealed Judge Van Humesen's ruling and won, having the charges against her reinstated. Once that happened, the defense filed a motion that Michelle was not mentally capable of standing trial. Michelle was sent back to Portland in 1984 after years of being a problem resident at the behavioral school. Psychiatrists from the school said that she had a, quote, consistent pattern of manipulation, end quote, and would later testify, quote, Michelle, in our experience with her, demonstrated that she is still more interested in getting even than getting ahead, end quote. In October of 1984, after Michelle was placed under observation at the Oregon State Hospital, a judge determined that she was mentally capable of standing trial. Even though her confession had been thrown out, the now 18-year-old murderer was convicted of the juvenile equivalent of murder on January 15, 1985. She was then released into the custody of her paternal grandmother, Jean Gates. 
She spent some time at the Hillcrest School for Girls and then in a monitored living situation called a Proctor Home, but was released of all supervision when she turned 21. In Oregon at the time, a person could request that their juvenile criminal record be expunged after a certain amount of time. The laws have since been changed, but at the time there was no exception for a murder charge. In 1991, Michelle Gates successfully got her criminal record expunged. This outraged Gail O'Neill, who said, quote, I feel that to close the record is to say that it didn't happen. It completely invalidates that my daughter ever existed, end quote. So, at 25 years old, Michelle was a free woman with a clean record. And we never hear about Michelle Gates again. No, just kidding. This is where I would like to say that Michelle Gates went on to become a productive member of society and never found herself in police custody again, but you know that's not what happened. 1991 was the same year that Michelle Gates would change her last name to Shorthouse. She was dating a man named Joe Shorthouse, who had previously been married to a woman named Lisa, who he had a son with. They had joint custody of the boy, but it turned out that Michelle wanted to marry Joe and have full custody of his son. Michelle hired her ex-boyfriend, Anthony Johnson, to kill Lisa and burn down her house. She paid him $3,000 up front and was supposed to give him another $7,000 after the crime was carried out. It was discovered later that Michelle was upset at Lisa for revealing her past and causing her to lose jobs, so her motivation also included revenge. On April 21, 1991, Johnson went to Lisa's home in Vancouver, Washington, and set it on fire. Though the fire destroyed the house, Lisa was away on her honeymoon with her new husband. Authorities believed that the fire was deliberately set, but they didn't have any suspects. Almost a year later, on February 6, 1992, Anthony made an anonymous phone call to a local newspaper and told them that he had been hired to kill someone. Police traced the phone call, which led them to Anthony, who agreed to cooperate with authorities. The FBI taped several calls between Anthony and Michelle, where they discussed specifics of the murder. Finally, the pair met at a Vancouver motel room to make final arrangements. In the recording, Michelle says that she wants the woman, quote, dead and gone, end quote. Michelle said that the attack should be carried out on February 21st or 22nd because she would be in Texas and would have an airtight alibi. She also suggested that Anthony kill Lisa's husband if he was also home and make it look like a botched burglary. Michelle also instructed him to shoot Lisa in the head twice because she had heard of people surviving a gunshot wound to the head. Michelle Gates Shorthouse was arrested on February 20, 1992. She pleaded guilty to procuring the use of fire to commit arson and traveling in interstate commerce with the intent to commit murder. She was sentenced to 10 years for solicitation and 5 years for the arson, the terms to be served consecutively. She was released on parole in 2005, and she completed her parole in 2008. No connection between Joe Shorthouse and the murder plot was ever found. Again, I'd like to say that Michelle Gates was never somehow involved in another murder, but unfortunately I can't. After being released on parole, she married again, becoming Michelle Leland, and had two daughters. She spent over 10 years living quietly in Glendora, California. In 2018, the Leland family had traveled to Colville, Washington to visit friends for the holidays. On December 28, 2018, Michelle's husband, Mark Leland, was shot twice in the abdomen by her father, James Gates. 
According to what Mark told an officer before he was transferred to the hospital, he walked into the detached garage where James was laying on the floor. When he asked the elder Gates what had happened, the man responded, quote, You pushed me, end quote, before shooting him twice. According to James, Mark had pushed him down and he fired in self-defense. When police interviewed Michelle, who they said was unemotional, she told them that the two men didn't like each other, but hadn't been fighting that day. She told the officer that Mark had beaten up her father two years earlier, but that they had been getting along recently. Mark Leland would later die in the hospital, and James Gates was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. James pleaded not guilty to those charges, but ended up pleading guilty to the charge of first-degree manslaughter in exchange for a sentence of seven years in prison. There's no evidence that Michelle had any involvement in the death of her husband, but the prosecutor seemed suspicious that James claimed it was self-defense, but then pleaded guilty. If you believe you kill someone in self-defense, why take a plea deal? It's a good question that'll probably never be answered. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4 kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.